And now for your listening pleasure, here's Polizzi and Rose, covering the week of media, marketing, and digital content news. This old marketing. Take it away, boys. Hello, my friends. This is Robert Rose, and welcome to episode number 303 of This Old Marketing, recorded on Thursday, December 23rd, 2021. And with me for this wonderful Christmas episode, as always, my good friend, my colleague, and a guy who's never lost by a single field goal, <laughs> Mr. Joe Polizzi. Sorry, I had to go there. <laughs> I can't believe you went to the depths yeah. and brought that out. <laughs> It was, uh, you know, I, I, I went, I switched back and forth between like four or five of those. And then I went, I just, I have to, I have to, I have to. Yeah, <sighs> I have to. So anyways, what people probably don't know, we're talking, maybe some people do, but I was at the Cleveland Browns game. They played the Oakland, Los Angeles, Las Vegas Raiders. <laughs> and, <laughs> and it was wonderful because with about three minutes left. I think they're Liverpool yeah, these days, the something Liverpool like that. Raiders. With, yeah. with about three, yeah. three minutes left in the game. Uh, Greedy Williams, uh, our uh, one of our cornerbacks, intercepted the ball. We had a lead. Everything was great. I think what well, we were up fourteen, thirteen. Things are awesome. And I'm talking to Jim. Jim and I, you know, we're, he's right next to me. I'm a good friend. We're talking about the Browns, and I said, "Do not give them the ball back. Like you have to figure out a way to get a first down, so that we can end this game with the ball." And what do they do? They run it three times in a row. Get nothing kick the ball, and then they lose on a field goal coming back. So I'm just I just am really frustrated because that's exactly how you lose a close football game. And and I was exactly. just – you were, and you and I were talking before the show, and I'm like, if you're Bill Belichick or you're some other very good coach, now you don't make that decision. You say we are going to try to keep the ball, and we will do some high percentage pass so we can keep the clock running and all that stuff. They were having success on tight end screens all, all game – they could have ran another one. They didn't, and they end up losing. And now they're seven and seven, and they could have been in first place, but now they're in last place. What? Is, what? <laughs> like it's amazing. It's that that is truly the uh, the magic of the way that the NFL schedule has. Uh, it is. If they wanted parity, they certainly that, got it this year. Oh my goodness gracious! Because the Cowboys, on the other hand, went from. You know, and by the way, they played the Giants, which was never going to be a big, sorry, Dennis, out there, friend and family of the show. I mean, this was never going to be a big challenge Uh, this year, played the Giants. But the the narrative going into that Giants game was the Cowboys could either be risking making the playoffs full stop or be the second seed in the NFL. And and they won the game in an ugly way. I mean, let's be honest, but, but they won. And now this week for this week anyway, because the Buccaneers lost and because, uh, the Cardinals lost to Detroit of all things. Um, they are now the number two seed, which is just, and you're in the playoffs, correct? Uh, You've locked in a seed. I thought you've locked in a place. No, they, they have not, uh, locked in a place yet because of strength of schedule and yeah. all that kind of stuff. They have to win basically this week to to lock in the the NFC East title. Well, yeah, I, th- I like your chances better than the Browns. And yes, theoretically, the Browns, if they win out, and even if they go two and one on the next three and end up nine and eight, they still could make the playoffs. But honestly, they haven't played well enough to deserve it. If they get in, great. But it's just it's been a frustrating year with all the talent they've had. They've underperformed. And I get it. it, it, They played so great last year. They won all those close games last year. And this year they've fallen a little bit flat. So hopefully they won't tear up the entire front office and find a new coach like they always do. And they'll just say, "Okay, we had, you know, we didn't we didn't meet our expectations. And let's let's go and, and try again next year with with a healthy team. Because they had, did you did you know that they had seventy? They didn't have seventy two players, but they had seventy two people out on COVID nineteen last week. I don't know where they had off all the extra players. Yeah, but literally <laughs> right. everyone was out. It's uh, it's cra- it's. Right. By the exactly. way, I don't know how it is in uh, in the hills, the beautiful hills of Los Angeles where you are. I don't know if you get COVID nineteen there, but there <laughs> there is a lot of stuff going on here in Cuyahoga County. 
Cleveland. I think we have the third most cases in the entire country right now or something like that. It's nuts. Yeah, it's it's crazy. It's this whole Omicron thing is just absolutely nutty. Um, you know, I'm ever hopeful. I'm ever hopeful that uh, this is this is sort of the last gasp, as it were, um, of of this thing, and that it's going to end up being not as not as bad. And and hopefully by the beginning of the new year, it's going to hopefully start to fade away. But you know, I'm who making knows? No predictions. Yeah, nobody, I'm making. I don't you know, know what wave. I don't, I don't. know what yeah. wave we're on. But obviously, yeah, exactly. Obviously, it was targeted at the Cleveland sports teams because yes. both the Cavs well, yeah. and the Browns were were. Down. I mean, basically, the Cavs had to couldn't even play their game because they 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 were going to go with the water boy, but <laughs> they didn't think they'd right. have a chance, so they they postponed yeah. that game. It, yeah, it's just the whole thing is nuts. And I don't mean to be negative, but man, I just I was so Bernie <laughs> Board just sent me a note. Good friend of us, ours and the and the podcast. He says, "I'm so sorry about the Browns." I just responded to him. I said, "I hate football. I hate it." I'm done. I'm looking for a new sport. I think curling. I think I'm going to be into curling or some other sport. You got any ideas for me? Whatever you got, I'm into it. I think maybe badminton would be a good one. My friend try- is trying to get me into pickleball, which has taken the country. You Have you played pickleball yet? Uh, I, I love pickleball. The wife and I play almost every week. Are you serious? I didn't yeah. know you were, uh, you were we a pickleball pro. Do oh, you play? Do you, do you play with Drake? Do you do doubles with Drake and Kanye? I, <laughs> I don't think they're big pickleball fans. But You'd be yeah, surprised. I, I, I bet you I, Drake is. I bet you he pickleballs uh, with the best of them. I don't know yeah. about that. I didn't know you played uh, on a regular basis. I have, I have a oh, couple my friends of mine gracious, that yeah. play same as you. They're in a league, and it's like a big deal. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's... Uh, I love it. I absolutely love it. It's uh, the the wife and I play just about like just about every weekend. We get out there and play, and um, you know, I mean, we're not very good, but but you know, we we definitely play a lot, and it's it's an amazing. How would fun. you describe it's it for really people? Because some people listening are probably like pickleball, like what? So it's basically it's like tennis it's, on a shorter court. It's, it's with a bigger racket and a. It's ping pong meets yes. tennis. Okay. It's ping pong meets tennis. It's 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 as slow because it uses a, you know, what we in the states call a wiffle ball. Um, so it's basically a hollowed out plastic ball. So it bounces nice, but it's also travels much slower. Um, and so it's a shorter, smaller court than a tennis court. Um, but it 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 the ball travels, and then you have wood, very much like big ping pong. Uh, paddles as your as your rackets and so it's you know it's great because it's like tennis but you you end up you don't have to be nearly as skilled as you would in tennis to actually have a good long rally because it's actually pretty easy to get the ball over the net and then it comes down to finesse and putting spin and you know all sorts it's just a fun fun game well i've yet to play it i have watched it so i'm thinking 22 i'm going to to give oh, it a you shot. gotta get into yeah. it. We, we've got friends that have been it. asking us to do the whole doubles thing, so I'm gonna I'm gonna give it a shot. I'll put away my golf clubs for one week and I'll I'll try the pickleball. So, yeah, there there you go. Actually, I I don't even know, know if you know, but a good friend of the show of mine, Carl Landau, he started his company called Pickleball Media. And, ah, and see, he has a he has a really good newsletter. It's basically for people that have retired. That it's it's called I used to be somebody. It's people that they're like big media. <laughs> they were big in media and then they went and retired. So he says, "Oh, how you know? Did you go on sabbatical? Did you try something new? Did you retire? What'd you do?" And then at the end of every one of his newsletter, he newsletters he has a pickleball tip. So, okay, which is just an I'll odd. To, it's gonna, an odd yeah. pairing. It's a but. It, well, it's a very specific demographic. I mean, you know, there's not not to put too fine a point on it, but if you look at the pickleball <laughs> demo, it's definitely I'm on the early side of it. Let's put it that way. But I am on I am. In You're the not demo. playing like a Gen Z, uh, you know, doubles team or anything like that. <laughs> not, you don't find a lot of. Well, you know, the funny thing is when we went out there last, there was a lot of kids uh, playing it with their parents, and um, 
but yeah, it's not. There's there's yeah, you a don't lot have of, to run around, right? Like you don't. I mean, well, you do have to run around. That's the whole point. You do run around, but there's not a lot. I mean, it's a small court, so you don't really run around very far. And the the real, I mean, the goodness of it, and I, and I mean this sincerely, is because because it's easy um, to get going and to learn it and to actually do things. You end up. I actually run around more in pickleball than I do in tennis because tennis, it's like. You know, I mean, I can serve okay, but I'm not very good in rallying. You know, I'm just, you know, I'm just not very good at tennis. And so, you know, it's like bang, bang. And then you have to go pick up the ball and serve it again, you know, with your, you know, with your, with your partner. In pickleball, you know, it is not uncommon to have eight, 10, 12 uh, stroke rallies, you know, 24 in total, right? I mean, where you're going for a good minute or two minutes, you know, a full on, rallies because it's easy enough to get the ball over the court it's 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 fun it's really fun well i will give it a shot and yeah. uh and then you you know once i get going we can start our podcast on pickleball and then the people that we've lost <laughs> on this episode of this little marketing <laughs> right, right we'll start talking about pickleball instead of football yeah all right, we got go. sort of a slow news week heading into the holidays. A slow news week because we are here on, you know, as as we record this the day before Christmas Eve, of course, the being released on Christmas Eve. Uh, so definitely twas the night before Christmas. Um, and uh, yeah, a slow news week. So we'll cover a couple of stories here and then let everybody get about their weekend, as it were. Um, our first story, uh, we're going to pair a couple of stories together because it's an interesting media slash acquisition slash stock price uh, sort of story. The, the the stories that we'll pair together, the first one comes to us courtesy of Axios, um, and it's uh, about our good friends at Forbes magazine. And the scoop, as Axios says, is that private investors plan a Forbes buyout. Investment firm GSV is working on a bid to buy Forbes media at a $620 million valuation as an alternative to Forbes' announced SPAC merger, Axios has learned. And we, of course, covered that SPAC merger idea uh, about a month ago, I guess it was, or a little more maybe. BuzzFeed's public listing last week added to growing skepticism about the SPAC market for media companies, and its shares are down roughly 40% from its opening price, and 94% of investors redeemed their stock following the merger news. Forbes had previously announced plans to go public via the SPAC merger that was set to close in the Q4 of this year or Q1 of 2022. Um, We're moving full steam ahead with the SPAC transition, says Forbes Media Chief, blah, blah, blah. But basically now there's this new uh, entry from uh, the GSV Asset Management uh, Group that is looking to perhaps just basically buy the the company up. And a lot of this has to do with the second story that will pair with this, which is that BuzzFeed which, by the way, went public on a SPAC merger, um, is already like suffering because of it. Shares of digital media company BuzzFeed, and this story comes to us courtesy of CNBC, dipped Monday after briefly spiking on its first day of public market trading after merging with a SPAC company. The company's stock trading under the ticker BZFD closed down 11%. So plans for the merger with the uh, 895th Avenue Partners were first announced in June, and then they went. So basically, they fell on their face in this SPAC thing, which seems to be losing a lot of luster these days. And I think Forbes is going, um, I don't know, maybe what's going to go on here with us? So uh, I definitely have a take on this um, with media and SPACs generally speaking but i would love to get your your take on this mr Pulitzer, and what you well, think we've covered yeah we've means. covered special purpose acquisition companies for a while now ever since the beginning and, and there's some really good ones and some that are they kind of stink a little bit <laughs> it's just, you're yeah. kind of you're you're smelling something fishy that's going on and i think you could probably put both of these in in that group where there's just something not quite right about it and the problem that I have with both of these, and I'm not going to get it too particular, but it seems more like a cash grab than a, oh, let's go public and then reinvest the funds. And I'll give you an example. If you look at the CNBC article that talks about BuzzFeed, so BuzzFeed is closed. I don't know what they opened at. Uh, they, they're definitely down way more than 50% from when they opened uh, opened last week. But when the funds raised from the 
SPAC, if you will, the, the consolidation of this, they just raised $16 million and almost $300 million of the proceeds went to investors. So right. this this yeah. is this is a horrible way to go public because generally, you know, back in the day, you went public, you raised a lot of money, and you used those money that those monies to go to different things. It would go to sales, it would go to marketing, it would go to to launching new products and research and development, whatever it is, right? You reinvest it back in the company. Well, this BuzzFeed public thing doesn't take any of that money and go. It doesn't go back into the company at all. So you, you would think like, oh, I want to buy BuzzFeed stock because now I feel really good and they've got all this momentum and they've, they've got this opportunity to grow. I don't know if they do. I don't really know if they do because they're basically just saying, oh, let's go public so we can get all these investors involved and we'll pay, you know, we'll, we'll pay them off whatever they, they feel good about their, you know, long-term uh, investment in BuzzFeed. And then we put all these other folks on the hook who bought it at, you know, at 10 or $12 a share or whatever it was. So I don't, I mean, I don't know what your take is on it. I just, it just seemed like, it seems like it's not fair to the current people that are investing in this. It's not fair to the company and to the employees because you're not going to see a lot of innovation. And the last thing I'll put, and this is, I mean, people that have listened to this for a long time know how I feel about the Forbes website. The absolute worst digital experience on the planet is Forbes.com. I can't yeah. think of another experience that you'd go to where, and the only thing I can think of is in Ready Player One. Remember when he's the the whatever the guy from IOI is talking about how he's going to win the competition, and then he's going to put advertising on everyone's console, and he's going to it basically <laughs> exactly. it says it says something <laughs> like we we can throw up I, some I don't know what it, what the number is but he says we can put up ads on eighty percent of the viewable space without causing seizures in the individuals remember he talks about that yeah that's exactly that's yep, pretty absolutely. much like going to Forbes.com. And then all the yeah. pop-ups and popovers, and I'm just, uh, I, I can't figure out how they've remained a an online powerhouse. Maybe they're not, but they they still get a lot of traction, mostly because Google still does the service to them by making sure that they're found on all these searches and they come up, you know, very high in Google News. I don't know why Google keeps doing that because I think they should they should very much penalize for the experience. But I'll put that to the side. Uh, what do you think about the whole uh, SPAC thing here? I think it really speaks to a couple of things, which is, uh, you know, a- and there is, I think, a lesson for us as marketers and content creators to take away from this, which is it it really speaks to the real weaknesses of this the idea of a SPAC um, and going public that way. Because at the end of the day, this really isn't about BuzzFeed or Forbes. It's about the SPAC, yeah, right? In other words, what you're investing in is a sum of its parts. And the idea of doing a roll-up, um, what, you know, what we you know, <laughs> classic boomers would call a roll-up you know, back in the day, um, and going public that way, you were still going public as a singular company, but you would roll up a bunch of little companies to to become a big company, and you would you know glue it all together. Um, you know, I worked for one for a long time. You know, in the internet consulting dot com boom days, um, that became a you know the biggest internet consulting firm on the planet at the time. You know, based on buying up you know a hundred and fifty little. Uh, you know, internet web design companies. And the problem then is the same problem now, which is when you were 150 little internet design companies, you were a sum of your parts. And so you were really only as strong as your weakest link. And the problem with SPACs is the same thing, right? When you invest in this SPAC of BuzzFeed, maybe it's BuzzFeed that's causing the problem, but maybe it's some of your other, you know, acquisitions that you did to go public or this, you know, sort of amalgamation of companies um, that that is all about. So it doesn't kind of matter how you do because you either become the little golden child that produces a lot of revenue and a lot of margin for your for your, you know, for your SPAC, uh, whoever, you know, sort of brought you public or somebody else in the SPAC brings you down. And that's the that's the real, and I think a lot of the the weirdness is is coming through, and I think why you're seeing a lot of the sort of larger institutional firms that typically bring companies public sort of going, yeah, this is you know 
this is not going to last. This is this, you know, you're starting to see a lot of the luster fall off of this. The lesson I think for us as marketers is we, as we start to think about putting together our own sort of, you know, what, what in the very weird little private world we might call our own little SPAC, which is, okay, we've got, you know, a portfolio of, of little customer experiences. We've got a blog and a resource center and a, you know, and a, a, a podcast and an email newsletter and all of our things together. We're only as strong as our weakest link. And what you and I have talked about forever is the idea of getting really good at one thing and then getting really good at the second thing and then getting really good at the third thing and then slowly building up that way. And in many cases, what I find is, is that we're just like this SPAC. We basically have either acquired because we've merged with another company or because we've come into this, you know, with the idea that we have to have X or we have to have Y to, in order to compete. So we have these collections of, of customer experiences that are not really part of any portfolio. They're just like out there. They're just like a yeah. bunch of stuff out there. And it ends up looking like this. It ends up looking like what BuzzFeed's going through right now. It's like BuzzFeed's probably doing very well, but they're part of now something that they weren't part of before. So they're not getting judged on their own. They're getting judged as a collection of things. And that's what customers do. Customers look at us as a collection of things, not as any one kind thing. Kind of like so a Franken mess. Is yeah. that kind of what you're, <laughs> yeah, that's you're it. saying? That's exactly Just to right. Be, be very that's nice exactly about right. it. Uh, no, you're yeah. you're right. And by the way, uh, for those of you that haven't been in the media industry for a very long time, it ebbs and flows. You have you have a whole series of let's say three to five years where you've got holding companies that start buying up all these different properties, and then in the next three to five years, you've got them basically selling off, and then it happens over and over again. Well, right now this is happening. This holding company collection thing is happening through SPACs because it's an easier way for people to do it, and the money is accessible right now. So great. They're going yeah. ahead and doing that, but you've got to watch it where you have too much of what you said going on, where basically sometimes you get media executives in there that think, oh, because we're so good at creating content and we understand audience development, we can take any product, any media product and make it successful, which is not usually true. You think, oh, well, just we have our special sauce about how we gain a subscriber and how we monetize that subscriber. Well, generally, when you have too many disparate properties going on, it's just nobody knows what they're doing anymore. There's no focus. It's very hard to be great at anything because you're just mediocre at all these different industry areas and you just become another media holding company. And the world does not need another media holding company. So, so that's, that's exactly right. That's maybe exactly that's right. where BuzzFeed is at right now. And I'm, I'm happy for Jonah Peretti that, you know, he finally, you know, he's been wanting to go public forever for BuzzFeed. He's the co-founder. I'm glad he did. But BuzzFeed's done some amazing things. Maybe one of the greatest media comebacks that we just don't talk about enough is when they were so dedicated or so focused with their social media audience and they didn't have a proprietary audience, like an email database of any kind and any first party data. All of their information was on Twitter and Facebook, mostly Facebook at the time. And they made that pivot in what, between 13 and 15 and said, no, we're going right. to we're gonna focus away from these rented, you know, we're going to keep building our social media audiences, but we're going to focus on building our email database. And now they've got something like 75 different email newsletters. They Most of them have over 1 million subscribers to them. They're doing really well in that area. So it's something we can all learn from. But now, you know, it's you're always chasing... Chasing the dollar, chasing, chasing going public. You've got to satisfy, satisfy all these investors you've had all these years. And it's very tough when you get into other people's money. And you start, so you probably make decisions you shouldn't make. So I, I, I hope yeah. BuzzFeed doesn't get lost in this whole thing because I do think it's made a great comeback. Agreed. I, you know, I mean, and we've talked about it ad nauseum on this show, the, the, the amazing things that BuzzFeed has done in the way of Rebuild, you know. I mean, they let's not it, forget yeah. that that come 2013, 2014, we were everybody was like, ah, BuzzFeed is dead. It's going to go away. It's going to fail. You know, yada yada. And they pivoted hard into that email newsletter idea and building their proprietary audience, and then pivoted again hard into e-commerce and building out products and building out a whole ecosystem of being able to do shoppable content and have succeeded wildly as an integrated platform 
of product, commerce, community, audience, media, you know, as a media company. And then on paper, this whole roll up thing looks to make sense, right? You know, advertising agencies have done this for yeah. years, right? Where, you know, yes, a common infrastructure, a common finance, a common this, a common that, but it's never quite that simple. It's just not. It's just, I've not seen an industry where it's quite that simple, where you get all the all the benefits that on paper seem to make so much sense, right? Oh, we'll just acquire a bunch of media companies and we'll go public as a holding company and everybody will benefit because the costs will be spread out over all those things. Well, no, it, it doesn't, it, it, I mean, it just never works out that way. It just, it, it doesn't, um, unfortunately, you know, work out as perfectly on, on in reality as it does on paper. And, and I think this idea of SPACs are now, we're, we're seeing that and that's, that's the lesson we can all take away from this is that, you know, it's, there's, there's, there's a benefit to having a real focus. I'm going to share this one story just because I think it's very relevant. But when I first started in media and we would meet the, the publishers would meet with the chief executive officer and the executive team, they always started with what's your strategy? Who's your audience? Uh, what are your, you know, what are your plans? What are you thinking? What what are some of the new developments? You know, t- tell tell us about what you know about the industry and what's going on, and that's how it started. And I love that. It was very exciting to be in those meetings to to just talk about what's going on, especially with the audience. You know, how is the audience changing? What are their needs? What are their pain points? And then over the next year or two, we started getting new investment in. You really moved from the the strategy moving from the publishers over to the financial. Uh, bean, I'm going to call them bean counters. And then those next gr- set of meetings, you didn't start with how's the audience, how's the industry. You started with let me t- let me hear your budget. The budget became first, and that's when I knew we yep. were going downhill. So this is just yeah, this exactly. is just something to learn from anyone that are in. If you're in a a strategic meeting, you never want to start with financials. You never do. You always want to start with why are we doing the, why are we in this business? What's going on? Do we know what's going on? And then we get to the numbers. But if you lead numbers first, that tells me a lot about the direction of the organization. So that's such a great point. It's such a great point because I I do this all the time with, uh, with clients, you know, when we're talking about a content marketing strategy or a content strategy and we start talking about, um, you know, after, after we've sort of, ideated and brainstormed over the course of a day and a half, we finish that and we start road mapping, right? We start talking about the strategic mm-hmm. roadmap. And the first thing that everybody wants to do, it's just a, it's a human reaction. You know, our lizard brain wants to go here, which is show me what the limitations are first and then we'll figure out the strategy. It's like, no, 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 <laughs> no, no, we don't, you know, so and in other words, you go, we want to do this cool new digital magazine. Well, Okay, what can we get done because Bob's never going to let us do that and we only have this much budget. So what can we do in a digital magazine? It's like, no, no, no. That that's not the way this works. We set the right strategy first and then you back off based on your limitations or the big rocks that you have, right? So what's the right so you don't start with your limitations, you end with your limitations. You start with what's the right strategy first? What's the right way to go? What's our purpose? What's our driven uh, you know, and focus. And now we can identify all those big rocks and say, okay, here's where we need to either back off of our goals or here's where we need to go, you know, root around the the big rocks. But that's, you don't start like your, your, your point is great. It, yeah. You don't start with here's, here's how limited we are. Now let's figure out what we can do inside. And, and by the way, it's a great point. And one of the reasons why you have to think twice if you're going to work for a public company. Because everything revolves around the quarterly reports and the quarterly meetings and the quarterly release. And are we hitting our numbers? And what can we say? And what can we can't? And base everything is about the budget and the revenue projections and the profit numbers. And it just and sometimes the why gets lost. And and I'm and I'm afraid that happened. That's happening to BuzzFeed right now. Yeah, we could do a whole show on short term. <laughs> we can do a whole week of shows on that. Lord. Yeah, exactly. All right. Moving on to our next story here, which of course is a fun one. Um, and it wouldn't be a this old marketing these days without talking a little bit about NFTs. Um, this one's a fascinating one though, because it's, it's starting to really show when, 
as NFTs are starting to meet marketing. Uh, big thanks, by the way, and hat tip to Ian Truscott, who sent over this story to us. Um, and the headline, our headline anyway, because we're going to pair two stories together, this is happening over in the UK. Uh, our headline is when NFTs meet football, um, their football, not our football, the, you know, soccer, as we would call it here in the US. Um, and it's the two stories together are both from the BBC. And basically, the first one is a podcast that you should go listen to if you're into this NFT thing. And it talks through, um, in I think, a really uh, a really interesting way how these football teams, um, and namely Arsenal, which is what we'll talk about in just a moment, um, and a few others, have put up NFT tokens or NFTs, minted some NFTs as part of their marketing campaign. And... It's it's basically the same thing as we've been talking about with others, sort of you know putting out pieces of art or pieces of other things um, that would you know be one of a kind that you could go buy if you're a fan and it's part of their marketing experiment. Then so they talk that through in this in this podcast, and then there's a accompanying story also from the BBC, which basically the headline is Arsenal fan token posts broke advertising rules, says the watchdog. Um, the Advertising Standard Authority, the ASA, because they actually have such a thing in the UK that we <laughs> here in the US, um, just so you know, um, argued uh, that the club, that's the Arsenal Football Club, had failed to illustrate the risk of the investment. It rules that the ads must not appear again in the form complained about. What are they complaining about? Well, a web page and a Facebook post by Arsenal Football Club promoting the crypto-based fan tokens that they put out, these NFTs, have broken these advertising rules, said the ASA. Critics, including some supporters groups, suggest that clubs who promote crypto fan tokens are encouraging people to engage in the risky and largely unregulated world of cryptocurrency investment. The ASA ruled against two promotions of Arsenal fan tokens. The first breach, according to the watchdog, focused on content on Arsenal's official website, in particular a page posted on in August with the title uh, AFC Fan Token, Everything You Need to Know. And then the second breach was a Facebook post on the company, which basically said that the AFC token is now live. Um, the article goes on to basically explain a little more detail about how they, quote unquote, broke the standard and ASA's opinion on this. And some other people in, in involved have also sort of uh, gotten to their opinion. This is, a, this I think, is fascinating for a couple of reasons, and I totally want to get your take on this as you're, you know, you're neck deep in this world. But the fascinating thing to me here is that this is sort of the pendulum of this idea of issuing NFTs as marketing experience sort of coming back in a, in a, in an interesting way that I, we've certainly not seen here in the States yet, but I think we will in the coming year. I say absolutely you? think in the next six to nine months, this is going to make a lot of headlines in the United States. And it's so it's already doing this in the UK. Um, yeah, I do. So uh, I think everyone needs to know where we're at right now when it comes to so social tokens, NFTs, whatever the case is. Right now, let's just look at European football. Right now, I think every team is sponsored by an online gambling site significant money. I would I'd probably say the, the if there's one category that supports European football more, I don't know of it. Rather, maybe airlines is one because, of course, yeah. our Arsenal's got Emirates Air. But but if you sure. look at what doesn't everybody know, have exactly. Emirates Air at some but, point. but if you yeah. look around this, the 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 pitch, as they say, uh, as, as to the the advertisements that are going on, a lot of them are online betting. That's kind of where we were. What three, four years ago? It's like, and every and right. so it's very actually very similar to what's going on with NFTs and tokens. They're like, oh, it's unregulated. We can't do it. Whatever. Well, they worked out all those details, and now today, they they go ahead and everybody's got online gambling. It's so it's just interesting to to have the advertising standards authority come out and say, oh, you're failing to illustrate the risk of an investment when literally half the advertisers for these football clubs are online betting. 
And they're not doing that much education on, hey, you might lose all your money. And that's all there's. They want a little statement at the bottom of this that says, hey, you might lose all your money. And should Arsenal and everyone else put disclaimers on and say, look, it, you may not recoup any of your funding from this? Sure. But at the same time, this is, you know, they are generating quite a bit of of, uh, of dollars. I think that on that uh, podcast that we'll put in the show notes, I think that... European, I don't think it was just Arsenal and their token, but I think the fan tokens within football right now have generated what they said 270 to 300 million dollars or something like that. Whatever the number was, it's it's significant enough. But yeah, do we have to put more out there? Particulars, do a lot of people not know what they're doing? Absolutely. This is part of being in you know the first segment of this whole thing. Uh, we've we've sort of come off the bubble. And when you come off of a bubble like we have, and now you get into not every NFT project is doing well. You might have, you know, one or two percent are doing okay, and the rest of them, just like content programs, right? You've got a whole bunch of content out there, and there's some that are amazing and some that are horrible. You're gonna get the same thing with tokens. That's what we're seeing. And now since now the price is not just going up all the time, you've got people that are saying, Oh my god, I lost my money. Whatever. Now that said. I still think that the whole opportunity and rewards programs and loyalty programs for tokens is huge. And of course, you've got to take on this as well. I, so I, I guess I'm, I think that a lot of this has to do with where we're at and the timing of this more than anything, because the people that are coming back against this still just don't know what this is. It's so new. Well, I think the people doing it don't know what it is either yes i think yes you know so, absolutely so the 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 you know this is this is the risk and it's a sizable risk of we talked a little bit about this when we talked about marriott um and and some of the things that they did which were sort of like all right big deal right you know and, and so the risk in the sort of just throwing something out there is that what you're going to do is set an expectation with consumers about what this thing is and quite frankly run the risk of ruining it when you actually do figure it out and what i mean by that is is that you know one of the things that seems to be most promising and that's i i preface my statement very purposely like that because it seems right now like this is going to be a promising avenue is the idea of NFTs as smart contracts to provide for loyalty types of programs, right? Where you are, you buy in like you would buy into a season ticket, you buy into uh, a never ending ticket, as you know, the tilt folks might say, um, or some other kind of loyalty program where over time what you're investing in is loyalty to whatever the brand, team, organization that you're buying into and there are benefits that come from that so it is nothing other than the purchase if you will of a product you're buying into a loyalty product just like you when you buy when you spend your 500 bucks a year for your amex you know gold or platinum card and you get a certain amount of loyalty points as a part of that and and so on and so forth so that's the way promising it looks by positioning it as, hey, here's this cool social token investment that you're buying a clip from the last game that you can own forever, and it's not really ownership, but it's kind of ownership, but you're going to have the only one, and it's going to be a collectible someday, eh, starts to run the risk of looking like a different thing. And so maybe it, maybe that works out, maybe it doesn't, but this to me is a great example of how rushing pell-mell into this without really thinking through what it is that you're doing can really run. I mean, it's it's like any marketing thing. Any, to your point, whether it's gambling, whether it's, uh, you know, putting up some sort of weird thing, um, it, it's, that's the, 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 the risk of rushing pell-mell into this without thinking it through is risk to brand, risk to your, your customers, and in this particular case, running afoul of some standards or those kinds of things. But I think that's probably less of a risk. These so days. what would you, do you think that they rushed it? Is that what you're saying? Like the specifically with Arsenal's token, they have an AFC, they have a token 
which is called AFC Fan Token. And they have on there that it says that, you know, you you should, let's see, I'm um, looking for the quote on here that uh, I can't see. I can't find the quote if you could find it. Oh, we advise you to spend only what you can afford and seek independent financial advice if required. Yeah. I, I think it's just too new, right? I think what the, the, my advice would be, I mean, because you can also argue, I think just as successfully, that by them doing this, they're pushing the ASA to establish yes. rules, right? Because, by the way, the ASA was not terribly proactive in sort of saying, hey, by the way, here's the way you should handle NFTs. You know what I mean? So by by pushing the boundaries and pushing against the walls, you're going to find holes in the wall and you're going to, the you know, the ASA is probably privately on the backside going, hey, thanks for doing this because this forces us to actually issue a ruling on this or issue a, an opinion on this. So, you know, it's a little bit like in the early days how the internet pushed the U.S. government to make legislation um, that we're actually, weirdly enough, you know, sort of suffering from these days about platforms and the risk of platforms and media and intellectual property rights and what, you know, platforms like Facebook and YouTube and Google and all those actually have responsibility to in terms of the content that's going up online. So that took some time to figure out. And it wasn't until we started really pushing those boundaries that the you know U.S. legislation was passed. And I think it's very similar here. It's not, it, you know, the, the technology and the capabilities are moving way faster than the regulators are in terms of issuing guidance on this because they just don't know and we don't know. And so I think this is going to be a yeah. tit for tat or a, you know, a pendulum swinging back and forth, whatever metaphor you like, for some time where what you have to be comfortable with if you're Arsenal or some you know, brand is if you're going to push the boundaries here, you have to be willing to you know, also accept the risk that comes along. Yeah, with I mean, it, so the learning is over-communicate as much if you're going to do it over communicate yeah, as much as exactly. possible put all the disclaimers on there uh that you possibly can my I mean, i'm and my issue with this particularly in this industry is because of the okay yeah you could say oh it's an unregulated activity and it's risky so we've got to make sure we protect consumers but you're just because online gambling is is a regulated activity it's just as or more risky so is is it the re- unregulated versus regulated? Like, what exactly does that mean? And when we become re- regulated, what are those? And we don't know. We might not even have any type of regulation, like real. Uh, here are the rules for the next year. We might not know, or more, because it's moving so slow. Because everything in the industry is moving so quickly, so the regulators can't catch That's up. Right. And I think everyone in crypto right now would say, yes, sure. I mean, right now you could say crypto is very regulated, but the rules keep changing, and you got you've got different people coming to the table with, you know, it should be this way, it should be that way. You've got political issues in there, and I think that everyone just wants to know what the rules are, especially in the U.S. So exactly, yeah. yeah, exactly. And it's going to take. I think it's going to take running afoul of some of them in order to determine what they are, which is a weird way to say it, but it's almost like you got to break it before you know yeah. what's right. You know what I mean? You gotta you gotta sort of push against the, the the walls a bit before you know what's actually gonna be you know what's the right decision to make there because you know it, the, the 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 mistake you don't want to make is to start to put regulations and rules around things that inhibit innovation and and good change. It's just a, it's a very hard you know when it's this new, it's very difficult to know. The challenge with all of our sort of institutional folks who put regulations to things that includes governments and 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 certainly industry you know uh you know arbiters those kinds of things are it, they often move much slower than you know it's first. just funny i just thought about this but i remember back in you know in the bubble of what was it 2000 2001 of internet stocks i remember there were a lot of financial advisors out there saying oh no no it's the internet internet stocks are risky like you be careful and they and they were at the time because nobody knew what was an internet stock and what wasn't and all this kind of stuff. And then now, twenty years later, literally every company is an internet stock, is a technology company. You know, look at look at the you know whether it's Amazon, Apple, Google, Facebook. I mean, they're most of the S and P five hundred today. Those types of companies. We're talking about 
the same thing with crypto right now. Oh, like what's a crypto company or crypto tokens and what, what should we get into? What shouldn't we, who's involved in it? Well, right now you've got a very small percentage, but in the next few years, every company <laughs> will be involved in it in some way. Exactly. So yeah, exactly. We're just, it's just, it, yeah, we got a long way to go. It's the same. I mean, yeah. actually not, I mean, exactly. it seems to be moving a lot quicker than the, than the internet stock thing did. That's what I was telling the, a financial guy the other day. I, I think I mentioned this on a previous podcast and he was saying, Oh, you know, crypto, it's just, it's too, it's too risky. And I'm like, do you even know when you say crypto, what you're talking about? Do you even like when you say block, you know, if I say blockchain, do you know how companies are using? Because you most innovative companies right now are trying to figure it out and trying to use it in some way. Well, that means in two to three years, you're going to have the most innovative companies in the world doing something substantial on the blockchain in some way. So yep. then your investing uh, thesis will have to change at some point. Anyways, it's an area of, of frustration on my part. The Browns and financial advisors who crap all over crypto and they don't know what they're talking about. Those are really two. They're the pretty same thing much if the you, same. If you think about yeah, it. it's the it's, same yeah. type of people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, yeah. Okay. Well, uh, so here we go. Let's move to our rants and rave sections in this short show, where Joe and I go off on a little bit of a rant or a little bit of a rave over something that makes us feel like the Browns or something that makes us feel, quite frankly, like. Uh, I don't know the Dallas Cowboys. Maybe. Um, <laughs> just, just say it. Oh, Hashtag. <laughs> uh, do you want to go first or shall I go? I'll first? go first. Mine's real quick. And my whole thing was, um, I opened up Morning Brew, and actually there was a couple newsletters this morning that were talking about the rise of TikTok, and I didn't know this, and you, I think you did, but TikTok, according to this company called Cloudflare, Flare. And I'll put this in the show notes. They did their 2021 year in review of internet traffic. And they said that TikTok beat out Google for the most popular domain in 2021. And it rose from number seven to number one in a year. And I just want people to think about that and how quickly TikTok has risen from and also ran to probably the most dominant social media platform on the planet right now. And the the thing that yeah. I have a take on, maybe we'll talk about this in an upcoming episode soon, but the thing that I can't get over is I don't even think they've gotten started yet. No. Yeah, so exactly. it just, that was my, it's not a rant or rave, it's just, I guess it's a commentary. I didn't realize how quickly this thing was moving. And when you talk to, and this isn't just kids, you talk to people of almost all ages right now. And the stuff that they're really addicted to <laughs> is on TikTok. That's where people are spending more and more of their time. And it's uh, and and I they've really figured out this mousetrap, and that's both amazing and concerning at the same time. So that's what I got. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. I like it. I, I think it's. I saw that news item too, and I thought that was really fascinating um, and I think you're exactly right. They're just they're just getting going here. Now, a lot of this will depend on whether they end up getting regulated or kicked out or, you know, so many other things that could happen. But I think generally speaking, you know, look, I, I've, as I've said on the show before, I'm, I'm down that rabbit hole. I am a consumer of TikTok videos and enjoy them quite a bit. Um, and the algorithm is just simply amazing. Yeah. Quite I, and, and they're almost getting yeah. hashtag too big to fail at, at this, at this yeah. point. I don't, oh, yeah. I can't oh, see, yeah. <sighs> I, I don't know how they would get regulated where, where it wouldn't take away. I mean, unless you get Google, Facebook, and Netflix all come to the table at one time and they do some kind of joint consortium to kick them out. I don't know how you're going to do it. You can't. Yeah. 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 What do you got? All right. Well, I have. I I don't have a rant or a rave. I have a Christmas poem for you. I I, I wrote a Christmas poem for you, Joe. Okay, I'm ready. I wrote this. this. Is, this I wrote, I'm I wrote, very excited I, about I, this. I wrote, I wrote a little poem for Christmas. Um, given that this show is going to come out on Christmas Eve, I, I wrote, Twas the Night Before... Uh, I'm calling it Twas the Night Before Break to sort of celebrate all the holidays. Um, and about uh, content, content creators, marketers, etc. And it was, it's called, Twas the Night Before Break. Hashtag, the struggle was real. No marketer rested easy. Discontent did they feel. Budgets and plans hung by the email attachment in the hopes that VPs would approve their advancement. 
Managers all sighed and climbed into their beds while visions of new podcasts danced in their heads. She and Lululemon and me and my cowboy's gear had settled in for cocktails after a long, chaotic year. When online in my feeds there arose such a clatter, I sprang open my chrome to see what was the matter. Away to my tabs, I clicked on them post-haste, tore open Google News just to see what we faced. The headlines were filled with so much interruption, a luster of clickbait o'er this holiday disruption. When what to my marketer's eyes should appear? Nothing but Omicron, crypto, stock crashes, and fear. And suddenly a noise came so lively and quick. The noise I recognized could only be St. Nick. With a whistle and a shout, he parked on my roof. His self-driving Tesla couldn't distinguish the route. As far as fast as Quibi proceeded to fail, St. Nick jumped to his MacBook and opened email. Now budgets, now plans, now audits, now tech, on process, on content, on calendars and check. He flew across the keyboard, dramatically smashing send, gave us all our approvals, extending our content spend. He spoke not a word, but held his hand to his ear, listening for email notifications across the world to appear. Then laying his finger aside his nose, he winked and said, Tell it well, Robert Rose. St. Nick sprang to his Tesla and gave me a quick wave, then turned and confided, Some plans even Ryan Reynolds can't save. But for all the content marketing folk and for you, I wish you good times in 2022. And then he flew off with less noise than Clubhouse, waving off all the fear, the uncertainty, and the doubts. Then I heard him exclaim as he shifted into gear, Happy holidays to all of you and a happy new year. That was wonderful. You, that, you. that was really good. The, po- the post haste in there really got to me. Yeah. <laughs> that is great. And we'll go. have to, uh, you'll have yeah. to send that to me. We'll have to put it in the show notes. I, I think people will like to share that. I, I, I will send that it to you for the show fantastic. Notes for sure. You, you have, yeah. I, I want to say you've missed your calling, but you're good at a lot of different things. And that, <laughs> that is, that is one of them. So writing Lovely. is, a, that was very Lovely. nice. And I think a good way to end our, yeah. our, uh, our pre-Christmas episode, if you will. There you go. Well, there you have it. Uh, well, have a wonderful and Merry Christmas, my friend. Um, and we'll, well, I mean, we'll speak next week, but, uh, you know, it, all of that, uh, is, uh, is, you know, it's all good. I hope you and your family have a absolutely wonderful time. will. The same to you, and the same to uh, all of our wonderful listeners out there. We uh, we appreciate that we still have listeners, and we're thankful for that going into the <laughs> exactly. new year. So, so I'm thankful. very very thankful for for all of our our wonderful community, and uh, it's been you know now three over three hundred episode rides. So looking forward to a good twenty twenty two as well. I am indeed. I am as well looking forward to a great 2022. And thank all of you, uh, as Joe just said, for listening. Uh, You know, we will be back next week. So we are, you know, we're not stopping this train. But in the meantime, if you want to get all the goodness of this podcast show notes as you dive into your Christmas turkey or ham or whatever you're doing, or any of the other 302 episodes, well, just get on over to our website at thisoldmarketing.site. Remember, everybody, hashtag us up on Twitter, hashtag this old marketing. We'd love to get your story ideas in for 2022. Uh, and until we meet again, Merry Christmas to all of you. And remember, it's your story to tell. Tell it well. We'll see you next week on This Old Marketing.